Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Welcome to church, friends. Excited you're here. Excited to be with you. Excited to jump back into the book of Ephesians today. And like you heard on the video, we do have some very awesome, important Sundays coming up. Just mark your calendars for Together Sunday, where we'll have one service all together, launching groups, finding ways to get connected that day. Then the following Sunday, after the second service, I know you just heard it, but I'm saying it again, Lake Day baptisms, you don't want to miss it. There's going to be barbecuing, paddle boards, all the fun stuff down at the Sac State Aquatic Center, and we would love for you to join us that day. Got a lot of people signed up already for baptisms, but if you have not uh, been baptized before or taken that step in your journey of faith, please join us on that day. Be there for that moment. We would love to partner with you, to baptize you, and to help you take that step on your journey of faith. Now, two more things I want to throw out there. Uh, Ladies, we got any women in the room this morning? Let me hear it. That was so shy. August 24th, we got something really special for you. My wife and a whole team of amazing women are putting together a women's night. It's going to be a blast, a ton of fun. Invite your friends, your family, your neighbors. August 24th, and then uh, men, we got any bros? We got any men in the room? Oh, come on. Let's go, man. Um, Here's the deal. The ladies are so much better at getting together than us guys. We just know it's true, okay? We know it's true. So we have to bribe you guys to get together, okay? And so we're doing that. We're unashamedly doing that. And so September 1st, I know we had originally planned um, for a a date late in August, but um, we're really excited. We have uh, somebody lined up to speak and to be with us who's been with us before. Former Giants pitcher uh, Jeremy Affelt is going to join us on that men's night. So guys, come on. Great hang. September 1st, we're still nailing down the details of the location. You'll be hearing more about that next week in the days ahead. But mark your calendar the night of September 1st. It's a Thursday night, so it's before you're on vacation for Labor Day weekend. Men, come out, meet some guys, get connected. Uh, Jeremy's journey, his story is incredible, and I really think it'll be a great time. So Women's Night, August 24th, Jeremy Affelt, September 1st, more details to come on those, but great ways to find community and get connected. All right, let's jump into Ephesians. Who's fired up about the Word of God today? Let's go. I, uh, I'm so excited. I was thinking about this recently, you know, the Bible, we've been in Ephesians um, all the way since back at the end of spring, and we've been kind of plowing our way through this amazing letter to the church in Ephesus. And one of the things that struck me, because man, I honestly, as I read it, as I study it, I I think I could preach 50 sermons. I'm not going to do that to you guys, but I, I think I could. There's so much in here. There's so much about life and reality and what we're all facing and going through. And What struck me is this, the Bible is far deeper than it is wide. It's far deeper than it is wide. And and 
you know, it's a long book. It's a big book. I, you know, over a thousand pages written by multiple authors through different generations. And recently I got uh, some new Bibles for my kids. And we're, we're starting to go through some reading plans just where we're learning how to read the Bible together. And one of the first things uh, my son did is he, he once he turned to the back page. He said, I want to see how many pages this thing is. Turns to the back page. He's like, Dad, this thing is almost... It's 1,281 pages. It's almost 1,300 pages long. I was like, that's a, that's a lot of pages. He's like, yeah, it's a lot of pages, Dad. He's like, how are we going to read all that? I said, well, we'll just go a little bit at a time. You know, we'll start with little chunks, maybe a few verses or a chapter a day. He's like, all right, we'll, we'll dive in. But it's a long book. It's an intimidating book. It can be one of those books that's, that's hard to approach because you wonder, man, how, how is it relevant? How do I understand it? What are some tools that I need to really understand the Bible? But friends, as you begin to journey through the Bible, as you begin to read slowly, as you read things over and over, as you make your way through the letters and the stories, what you will find through your life, even though it is a big book and it is long, is the more you give yourself to it, the more you dive in, even, in, even if it's tough sledding, even if it just feels like a slog when you first jump in, you'll begin to see things. You'll begin to make connections. The Holy Spirit will open your eyes and you'll, you'll see things that you never saw before and you'll realize, man, this, this book may be a thousand pages long, but it's like a million pages deep. It hits me on every level of my soul. It's like a mirror into what's happening inside of me. And so as we go through Ephesians, as we hit these verses, just listen, be open and available to what God would say to you because he's speaking something specific to each of us through his word. People will come to me from time to time and they'll say, man, how, how do I hear from God? I want to... I want to hear from God in my life. I want, to hear the, I want to hear God's direction. I want to hear his instruction for my life. I want to know how to hear from God. I'm like, man, I, I surefire way. I'll give you a full, a, a, literally a fail-proof method to hear from God every day. Get in the word. These are his words to us. Get in the Psalms. Get in the... Get in the New Testament, get, in, get into the letters that Paul wrote, and you'll begin to see God and hear God speaking to you in ways that you maybe have never experienced before. The Bible is living and active. And so now we arrive at Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, such an important passage of scripture. And the first part of this book, last week we looked at this, this reality of unity, what does it look like for us to function as the body of Christ, for each of us to bring to the table, to build the church, to bring the gifts that God has given us, to build up the body of Christ so that we can all attain to maturity in the faith? And we talked about this reality of growing up in Christ, how we start as infants and then we move to adolescence and we move to mature adulthood and how Paul is encouraging all of us, hey, I want you all on the same road heading towards maturity in your faith. Maturity in what you know and believe about Jesus and how you live your lives. And then he dives into this next part in Ephesians 4. And friends, Paul is bringing it home right here. He's the letter has shifted. It's gone from, man, all the amazing blessings that we have in Jesus 
He lays the the strong foundation. We sang about that this morning, the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and of grace and of mercy and the free gift and all the blessings we have in him. And he says, but now we're shifting. I'm gonna bring it home. Actually, I'm gonna bring it into your home and into my home, into our homes. We're, We're gonna get into the details of life. What does this mean for real life? And that's where we pick up in Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. So if you have a Bible, you can open it. Such a good um, thing. I know our Bibles are on our phones now, and I know we have digital versions of everything, but there's, there's something awesome that happens when you get, you know, even, even just like a pen, and you put it on the paper, and you read slow, and you circle things, and highlight things, and you make notes in the side. It helps you remember it. It helps you slow down. So if you have a Bible, awesome. If not, we got it on the side screens for you. But I'm just saying, that's a side note. So here here we go, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk or you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, when you see the word Gentile, you have to understand this was written to a primarily Jewish audience. So the Gentiles are everybody else in the world who don't know Jesus. Very simple. He says, look, don't live like the people of the world in the sense of, man, they're, they're chasing things in the futility of their minds, we'll get to this in a minute, that they think will satisfy, that they think will give them the answer, but they won't. He goes on. He says, they're darkened in their understanding, they're alienated or separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They don't know any better. Just like you and me, we didn't know any better. Before we knew Christ, we didn't know any better. We thought those things were where you found purpose and meaning and joy and peace. He goes on. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that's not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him. Check this, as the truth is in Jesus. Where's the truth? Where's your truth? Where's my truth? It's not just in our minds or our opinions or our hearts or our feelings that day, friends. The Bible says it really clear. The truth is in Jesus. The anchor point, the true north for all reality is found in Christ. If you're not building your life from truth, from the anchor of Jesus Christ, you're not building your life on the rock. He goes on, you were taught in Christ, the truth is in Christ, you were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So we're going we're gonna to unpack that. There's, I know there's a lot in there, this putting off of the old, putting on of the new, This whole reality of what it means to change, to live differently. I want want to introduce a revolutionary idea for all of us this morning because as I was praying and thinking through this passage and I was trying to come up with a title for the sermon um, and I had a couple ideas and some of my early ideas were things like this. Why, Why your problems are not really the problem. Why all the problems that you face, they're not really the problem. We gotta focus on the problem. Another thought was, um, how to know when your heart is lying to you? 
How do I know when my heart is lying to me? Another thought I had was, how did I get here? We all end up in the drift. We live in this reality of drifting and sometimes we wake up and say, man, I don't like where I am. What led me to get here? How did I get here? But as I was thinking and praying and processing this, this past week, I, I got in touch with a dear friend of mine. And actually, this was a conversation we had a while ago, but I, I got back in touch with him because he sent me a gift, and I'll get to that in a second. And I called him a while back, and he's somebody that I just, man, when, when I'm in a rut, when I'm facing a hard thing, when I'm facing discouragement or anxiety, or I'm, I feel like I'm in a moment where I ask, man, how did I get here? This isn't where I want to be. This isn't the type of husband or father or leader or anything that I want to be. Man, I feel stuck. How'd I get here? He's one of those guys that I call and I say, hey man, I'm somewhere that I don't want to be. Let me tell you about it. Let's pray. He's somebody that I, I trust inherently with my life and I talk to about my life. And, you know, we started to dive into it a little bit and he just asked me a simple question, but I was slightly offended because of who it was coming from. And we'll get to that also in a second. But he just asked me, he goes, hey, um, he goes, are you exercising at all anymore? It's like, well, that's, what's that got to do with anything? Like, aren't you listening to me? I'm, you know, I'm in a tough spot. He's like, yeah, but are you like, you know, are you exercising? Are you moving at all? Right? And the truth is, since last September, you know, I just haven't been very consistent in either getting to the gym or running or any of those sort of things. And for me personally, exercise is like free therapy. Come on, somebody. It's like, man, you can just get rid of all the demons, all the crazy thoughts, all the stuff, just with a run sometimes. It's like a reset. And then he asked me, well, you know, how, how are you eating? I'm like, I'm eating whatever I want. <laughs> I'm great in that area, right? And he's like, no, like, Really? And the reason I was slightly offended because it was him asking me is, you know, he, he, he's an ultra marathon runner, okay? And I'm like, like, dude, don't judge me. Like, I don't have to run ultra marathons to be cool in life, okay? The other, the other week, um, I was talking to him. I'm like, man, how's your week been? He's like, it's been awesome. It's been crazy. I signed up for this, this like night run. I was like, oh, cool. Like, what was the goal? He's like, they gave us 12 hours. It was in Colorado. And we had to run as far as we could in 12 hours. Whoever made it the furthest won. I said, like, that sounds awful. Like, who does, like, who are you? He's like, no, it was awesome, man. I ran all night. I ran 12 hours. I was like, how far did you go? He's like, 55.3 miles. At like 8,000 feet in the darkness of the Colorado mountains. I was like, bro, that's two marathons, like back to back. He's like, I know, it was amazing. And I asked him, I said, I said, how did you get there? Like nobody wakes up and runs 55 miles in 12 hours overnight. And I, I knew his story. I've known him for a long, I've known him. And he shared parts of his story with me. And he very, you know, openly has shared with me, man, like in the past, when I was stressed or anxious or whatever it was, the, the thing that I would run to in the evenings was beer. And he's like, it wasn't like crazy amounts of beer, but it was enough. And it seemed to be like very consistent to the point where, man, I, I gained a lot of weight and I was out of shape. And he's like, and then the other thing I would do is I'd watch baseball. And once my kids were asleep, I'd walk out back and have a cigarette or two, or three, or four, and then it was half a pack. And I just realized in my life something had to change. And he said, man, I, 
it was starting to affect other areas. There was all these bigger things. And I said, man, how, how did you get to where you are today? And he's a guy where in his own life, he's decided, I, I just can't do alcohol. I just can't, I can't drink. He hasn't had a drink in years, right? Hasn't had a cigarette in years. He runs 55 miles for fun now. I said, how did you get there? He goes, man, I realized something. And he said, you know, actually, before I tell you this, he goes, I'm going to buy a shirt for you. I'm going to send it to you because it captures everything that I want to say to you right now. I was like, okay, that's weird, but I'm in. And uh, here's what the shirt said on the back. It's a running shirt. And it says, nothing changes if nothing changes. You get it? Nothing changes if nothing changes. And he said, I realized, man, I can't, the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. And he goes, I, I can't just keep doing the same stuff. I don't like where this trajectory is leading me. And he goes, so I determined on some random day, I'm just gonna run two miles every day. And he goes, the reason I did it is because I signed up for a race. And I thought, man, I just spent money on a race. That's like a half marathon. I better start training now or I won't finish it. And he, he said, you should sign up for a race. And so I, I did, I signed up for a race like two months ago. And uh, it has actually sort of worked. It's got me going again, right? And he said, I started with two miles a day, no matter what, rain or shine, no matter how I felt. And the first time I tried it, he said, I literally ran maybe 200 yards and had to walk, started coughing. And then I tried to run again and I had to walk. He said, it took me a month before I could even slowly jog two miles without walking. And then several more months before I added a third mile. And then several more months, you know, time, it took time, 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 small changes, but I realized nothing will change in my life unless something changes in my life. Revolutionary idea. Actions matter. Choices matter. What we do with our actual day, with our time, talent, treasure matters. How we choose to live matters. So the title today is nothing changes if nothing changes. And that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4. He's talking about a former way of life and a new way of life. He's talking about the old you and the new you. And friends, what I realized as I was thinking about this is simple. The Christian life is about nothing if it's not about change. What do I mean by that? Well, the Christian life begins where? By going from death to life through faith in Jesus. That's a big change spiritually. When you put your faith in Christ because he died for you on the cross and rose again, when you connect your life to his by faith, Lord, I believe that you died for me, internally, you go from death to life. Something changes. Grace is the beginning of change. We go to death to life through faith in Christ, the, the scripture talks about change all over the place. It says things like, I will turn your mourning into dancing, says the Lord. I, I will replace that heart of stone inside of you and give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. We find that as we begin to follow Jesus, that um, hatred begins to change into love. Judgment transforms into mercy. Anger turns to kindness. 
Uh, impulsiveness changes to self-control. Impatience transforms into patience. Wounds become healed. Resentment and bitterness slowly turns to forgiveness. Addiction changes to freedom. Greed turns to generosity. Anxiety turns to peace. And friends, it's not overnight, but things begin to change because there's new life inside of you. But unless, and, and here's the key, there's two important words in Christianity and we can't get them confused and we have to understand what they mean. Justification and sanctification. Big, fancy theological words. We're gonna unpack those. I'll make them as simple as I can. Here's what it means. Justification is the free gift of grace. What Jesus has done for us. Not what you can do. Not the choices you make, not earning anything. It's, it's free. It's a free gift of grace. Sanctification is our response to what Jesus has done for us. It's the process of becoming everything that God has created us to be. More like Jesus through our daily choices and actions. And yes, sanctification is empowered by the Holy Spirit. God is with us, helping us. But friends, every other religion in the world reverses these two. It says, man, you better shape up. You better make the right choices. You better do the right stuff. And maybe God will forgive you. Maybe he'll justify you. Maybe if you do enough, one day you'll get a planet. I don't know. But you better make sure you're doing enough. Work harder, just a little harder. And Christianity goes, no. You're justified by Jesus. He did that for you. Salvation is a free gift, but there's a response. Growth, sanctification comes down to our daily choices, daily repentance, looking at the ways in your own life where, where you realize, man, this isn't lining up. This isn't who Christ has called me to be. This is a rut that I need to get out of. Lord, help me. And it's choosing to make new choices and realizing nothing changes if nothing changes. I have to make some new decisions in my life. And so Paul, he begins, and we'll look at this, begin to unpack this section of scripture. He says right off the bat in verse 417, I say, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. I like how the New Living Translation says it. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the people of the world. There's an old you and a new you. And he's saying, look, if you don't like this, don't get mad at me. The Lord is the one telling me to tell you this. Take it up with him, okay? I love that. That's like the preacher's out. It's like, don't get mad at me. The Lord said it, okay? Y'all deal with him. Paul says it. He's like, I'm insisting. You don't want to keep doing that. Well, why, Paul? What's, what's the point? What's the purpose? Why are you asking us to live different? Well, he says, I, I want to talk about this reality of transformation, of change, of the old you and the new you, of putting off and putting on, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. And the question arises, well, how do we change? How do we do that? Why would we want to do that? He says, well, I'll, let's unpack these verses and I'll show you. And this is what Paul says. And he dives into the next part, verse 17 to 18. And we'll look at this together quickly. He says, hey, don't, don't live as the people of the world. And, and here's why. It's like, why, Paul? You know, you ask the question mark. Why? In the futility of their minds. And it's like, okay, what is, what is futility? What does it mean 
for something to be futile. It means I'm looking in all the wrong places for all the right stuff. At the end of the day, that's what it means. I'm looking in all the wrong places for all the right stuff. And change happens when we stop looking in the wrong places for the right stuff. And this is what salvation is about, right? We, we used to think, man, I'm gonna climb the corporate ladder to the top and I'm gonna find purpose and meaning and happiness and financial security and all the things that I'm looking for in life, that's gonna be my answer. I'm gonna be successful. I'm gonna be this, I'm gonna be that. I'm gonna marry that person. I'm gonna live in that neighborhood, have that house, have this many kids. Whatever it is, we're looking at these things in the world and none of these things are necessarily bad. Not all these things are bad, they're very good things, but we're looking for them to become the ultimate thing that satisfies us in our life. And Paul goes, that's futile. It will never deliver on what it promises. You're looking in the wrong places. You're looking for the right things. You want meaning, you want peace, you want joy. You wanna know that there's a sense of security in your life. You wanna know that you belong, that you're invited in. You want happiness. He goes, you just gotta stop looking in the wrong places. That's what you used to do. You used to look at all those things in your life and say, I'm gonna find it there, and you didn't find it there. And, and philosophers, ancient philosophers, they have debated for years does life have meaning? Is there a purpose to life? What's the purpose of it all? Is there, is there an overarching purpose to this thing we call existence? And, and one of the ancient philosophers, the Bible calls him the smartest man who ever lived, the wisest man who ever lived, was Solomon. And Solomon, think about this. Solomon had it all. He had it all. He had fame, he had power, he had wealth, he had women, he had all the things that you would ever want. He had the best job in the world, he was king. He was the king. And he came down to the end of his life and in the last chapters of Ecclesiastes, we see him say things like this, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Life is but a vapor like chasing after the wind. He's saying, look, I've had it all. I've been to the top of the mountain. I've had everything this life could offer. And if I could find what I'm actually looking for in this stuff, I would have found it by now. I would have found it by now. And he didn't find it there. I think of, I think of the famous song by you 2 Still haven't found what I'm looking for. It says, I've run, I've, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls. I've spoken with the tongue of angels. I've held the hand of a devil, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's that search, that inherent search inside of all of us. And the Lord is saying what, what Paul is saying here is your old way of life was looking for your ultimate meaning, the ultimate joy, the ultimate purpose in things that are perhaps good gifts from God, but not the ultimate thing from God. He said, you have to change what you're anchored to. You have to anchor yourself to Christ. So change begins with looking for the right things in the right places, looking for it in Christ. Second thing we learn from this passage of scripture 
is this simple idea that change gains momentum. Whether good or bad, that's unfortunate, okay? Feels much easier for like the bad things in our life to gain momentum. You know, when we get into a rut or we get into a habit that we're not very proud of or we're not excited about or we know this is not something that's helpful for the long-term arc of my life, somehow as we keep doing it, it gains momentum in our life and it becomes harder to stop. But Paul talks about it. He says, you have to realize, he goes into this passage right here. He says, part of the reason that things gain momentum in your life is because your heart talks about the hardness of our heart. He goes, the heart has become calloused. We know how a callus works, right? If you work with your hands or do construction or you lift weights, you build up calluses on your hand. And the point of the callus is actually to keep you from feeling the pain. Your, your, thin, your skin gets more thick and tough and, and you're, you're doing the same difficult things, the same difficult labor with your hands, but you don't feel it. And he says, What's happened here and what happened to you in your former life is that your heart was calloused and you couldn't feel or hear what God was wanting to say to you and it kind of steamrolled off the cliff, right? He says, once you become callous, you give yourself over. They gave themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that's not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as, and this is the key, the truth is in Jesus. But what he's talking about here is this idea of sensuality, right? It's, it's simply the enjoyment or expression or pursuit of physical and emotional pleasure. It's going after any appetite or desire and not putting a check on it and saying, maybe I shouldn't go that far with it. It's just giving yourself over to immediate satisfaction, chasing the next high, the next hit, the next rush, asking what will calm me down right now? Where do I turn when I'm anxious, angry, tired, or lonely, afraid? Where do you turn when you zone out the difficulties of life? And Paul says, if your heart is calloused, you're probably gonna turn to things that aren't super great for you, and you're not even gonna feel the fact that they might be wrecking your life. You won't even know it thought about this because uh, recently one of, our, uh, one of our staff members here at the church uh, sent a video to Lindsay and I because our daughter was, was hanging out with her daughter. And uh, it, it's a wild video. I'll give a little backstory because I'm going to show you the video in a second. It's taken from a, a ring doorbell cam or something like that on the front of the house. And uh, an Amazon delivery guy is delivering a package to their home. And he delivers the package and comes down their driveway. He delivers the package. He parks his Amazon delivery truck on the road. Then he goes up, gets another package, and delivers it to the next door neighbor. Now, I want you to pay attention. We're going to watch the first video right now. Check this out. Okay, it's happening real quick. Let's just play that video again, or let's hit pause real quick, actually. So the white van is just a carpet cleaning van, okay? Over the top of the white van is the Amazon truck, okay? Directly in the back. Not the truck on the left, it's the one on the right. The guy has just walked down the hill and the dude on the right-hand side of the American flag, you see him there, or are you following me? He just now got the Amazon package. Amazon driver walks back up to the truck, gets the next package, and you, you briefly see him walk down. This is all in like high speed. 
to the next door neighbor's house. So let's play the video again, see if you can catch it. There it goes, boom, super fast in the background. There he goes to the next house. Okay, now here's the problem with this situation. You, we've all probably been there, gotten a package from an Amazon guy. Um, either he forgot to put on the emergency brake or he forgot to put it in park because as he's walking to the neighbor's house, this is what happened next. Watch the truck in the background. You'll see it. Um, we're zooming in a little bit. It's a little different angle. So here comes the truck. Watch it up top. There it goes. And then look at the dude. Look at the top right. You'll see him coming. Oh, snap. Here he comes. He's sprinting. Pause it. Oh, there he goes. Top left. We'll go back real quick. See if you catch him in between. He's on a full sprint. I don't know if we can do it. It's a, it's a little bit of a blurry video. All right, don't worry about it. Oh, there he goes. All right, you saw him again. All right, play it to the very end here because now everybody's getting concerned as the truck is rolling. And here's how the story ended, okay? So I, I literally got a photo from them briefly after, and here's where the Amazon truck ended up. True story. I don't know if we can zoom in on this on the cameras through the neighbor's top fence, through the secondary fence, and eventually went into this like forest where it hit a bunch of trees and stopped. Not a, not a fun day. No one got injured. Everyone's fine. I doubt that dude has his job anymore, but hey, accidents happen, right? And here, here's what we realize, right? Change gains momentum, okay? Either we choose change before it gains momentum or change chooses us when we crash into the consequences of our choices. Either we choose change. And friends, here's the deal. God will use both. Maybe some of you are like, bro, I crashed a long time ago. I've been through a bunch of fences. I've hit a bunch of trees. Like, is there hope for me? Yes, praise God, grace, justified by grace. Remember the gospel. That's the beginning, right? It's never too late. Doesn't matter if you're, you're stuck in a bunch of trees, you can start today, right? But for those of you maybe who recognize, man, there's some patterns, there's some things in my life from the former life that I need to let go of. You know, nothing's gonna change if nothing changes in my life today. What Paul says next is so important. He says, if you're calloused, if you don't even care about the things that you're practicing daily that you know this could lead to a train wreck or a crash in my life, then he says, you need to take some action right now. And he gives us very specific action. He says in the next, verse, he says, put off your old self. Put it off like an article of clothing. Take it off. Take the jacket off. Take whatever it is that is keeping your heart insulated or distant from the voice of God. Put that thing off. Put that behavior off. Put that habit off. Begin to go to war with yourself. He goes, those things belong to your former manner of life. And then he says this, don't miss his friends. And they're corrupted through deceitful desires. Friends, this is why this is such an important passage for our cultural moment. We live in a world, in a culture that does not believe your heart can lie to you. We live in a culture that does not believe your desires might be lying to you. We live in a culture that says, you do you. 
If you feel it, if you want it, if that's, if that's what your heart says you are or that's what your heart desires in this moment, there's no stopgap, there's no check. It's just, yep, I'm all in. And Paul goes, hit the brakes. They might be lying to you. In fact, all of us have broken hearts. All of us have desires and appetites that are lying to us. And man, they deliver for a minute They'll calm you down for a second. They'll relieve the anxiety for just a second. These actions and habits and these ruts we get into, they deliver for a second because let's be real. Deception or lies, deceit doesn't work unless it feels kind of true. The best lies are the ones that feel the most true. Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So Paul says, hey, Modern, American, Western world, check your heart. Sometimes your heart is lying to you. Sometimes it's telling you this is who you are or what you want, and it's actually leading you off a cliff, through a bunch of neighbor's fences into a tree where you're gonna wreck your life. Don't go that way. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self created after the image or the likeness of God. In righteousness and holiness. And righteousness just means, hey, I'm looking at two decisions in front of me and my heart and my appetites and my desires are all screaming, go that way. But deep down, my conscience says, it's not gonna bring you the peace or the hope or the long-term happiness you think it will. Go this way. That's righteousness. It's saying no to those things. It's, it's having clarity on what's good and what's not good. What is the way of Jesus and what is not? And then holiness, this word holiness is really just the Greek word for wholeness. And it's understanding that we're broken people and that our desires and our hearts have been broken by sin. And the journey of holiness is the Lord putting those pieces back together and making us whole again, healing us. That's what Paul is talking about. He says, the way you do this, the way you run an ultra marathon is just start with two miles. Just start by walking. Just get yourself moving because nothing changes if nothing changes. Just take the next step. Do the next right thing. You might still end up running off a cliff and crashing your life. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for dying on the cross because I'm a mess and I'm broken and I need you. Give me the strength tomorrow to start making new choices. Friends, what Paul is talking about here, what he's, what he's hitting at at the end of the day is simply this. Change requires choices every day. Small choices, choices to get in the word, choices to get in a small group, choices to get honest and to get real, choices to call a friend and be like, hey, is my heart lying to me right now? Because I really want this thing, that person, this whatever, that direction in my life. Do you think that's what the Lord wants? Because everything in me wants that. But you need someone that can look at you and say, yeah, your heart's lying to you right now. That's not good. You need someone that knows you good enough. Says, man, if you, if you say yes to that again and again and again, you're gonna get calloused in your heart. You're not gonna feel or hear the voice of God. That Amazon truck is gonna start gaining momentum and no matter how fast you run, you're not gonna catch it till it goes off the cliff. 
Nothing changes if nothing changes. It requires choices. I'm gonna close with this. I'll invite the band to come out. Just wanna close with this briefly. This whole idea of our hearts being capable of lying to us, of this, I mean, the Christian life is built around repentance. It's built around this idea that, man, there are certain things that I want. There are certain realities that I see in myself that aren't aligned with God's word or who he's called me to be. And the the moment you see those things, the world says, that's who you are. Just be that. And Jesus goes, actually, if you see that it's not according to my way or my word, repent, turn around, ask for my help. Trust me, I'm the author of your life. I'm the creator of your life. I designed you, I made you, I know what's good for you. Some of the things I'm asking you to do, they're gonna feel like picking up a cross and following me. We hate the idea of hard things or suffering and friends, change requires choices that feel like dying. And he goes, I promise you on the other side of death, there's new life, but you still gotta go through death and it hurts And your body and your desires and your heart isn't gonna like it at first. It's gonna go kicking and screaming. It's gonna be like a two-year-old looking at mom and dad when it says, go clean up your room. They're like, nah, 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 I can't hear you. I don't wanna hear you. That's how our hearts are with the Lord. And until we begin to put off old behaviors and put on new behaviors and begin to walk this thing out with Jesus, even though it hurts and it's hard and changes hard and it's one step at a time, until we become who God has called us to be. We have to realize, we have to audit ourselves internally. Say, is my heart lying to me? And here's the story. In World War II, came across the story of a military airplane that was going across the South Pacific. And it was shot down. And several of the soldiers survived. And uh, the highest ranking captain who survived um, he wrote in his journal, he wrote about this experience. They, they gathered what they could to stay alive. They were floating in the open ocean. And he said, it was so crazy because when we ran out of food and water and we're adrift in the sea and we're hoping that someone will find us and rescue us, we're in this massive endless body of cool water. And all we wanted to do was take a drink. You know, we began to hallucinate. The men began to lose their minds. And I I would say to them, don't drink the water. And they would say, "This, this looks like good water. It feels like good water. I'm so thirsty. And he would say, don't drink the water. I know everything inside of you is saying, drink the water because water is what I need. And even though it looks like water, it feels like water. And even after the first sip, it might satisfy. He says, you will die because it's full of salt and that's gonna dry you out faster. He said, as much as I pleaded, as much as I said, don't drink the water, many of the men could not help themselves in weak moments and they would drink the water and ended up, those men did not make it. And friends, I look at our culture, I look at our world, I look at the things that all of us face on a daily basis. And so many of us are running to different things and saying, will you, will you satisfy? Will this satisfy? Will this fill that gap? Will this fill the hole? And we're, we're drinking from all these different wells. And I remember Jesus approaching a woman at a well in the gospel of John. 
And she's run from relationship to relationship to relationship. And she's asked the question, will this satisfy? Will he be the one? Will this satisfy? And Jesus looks at her and he goes, come to me if you're thirsty. I'll give you a drink that will make sure you're never thirsty again. Come to me all who are weary and tired and hungry and I will give you rest. I'm what you're looking for. Truth is in me. I'm here because I love you to save you and you don't have to keep running to those things to try and find what you're actually looking for. I'm here. And friends, if you're here today and you have never put your faith in Christ and you find yourself in a rut, you find yourself saying, man, something's gotta change. Well, it starts right here. Go to Jesus. Starts right here with faith and then new desires begin to come up. Truth begins to take hold of your heart. You get up and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk two miles a day. Take one step in the right direction. If you've never taken that step of faith, there's a card at the seat back in front of you that you can fill out. We'd love to know. If you say, man, I wanna put my faith in Christ, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to walk with you in that journey, help you get connected because friends, nothing's gonna change unless something changes for you. And this might be the first step. This is the first step. Please fill out that card. We'd love to connect with you and pray with you. Right now, we're gonna take communion together. And this is the beginning point, this is the starting point. Communion represents the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So before we take communion, let's pray. I wanna pray with you if you wanna take that step of faith. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. Lord, I pray today would be a catalyst of change in hundreds of lives. Lord, Father, I pray for those that haven't taken a step of faith yet. I pray right now they would take that step. In your hearts, if that's you, just say to Jesus, believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you're what I'm looking for, that you have all my, I need as my creator. Go to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the ways that I've listened to the lies of my own appetites, my own heart. And your heart say to him, I believe you've risen from the dead. You conquered death for me so that I can be forgiven. Put your trust in Christ by faith right now. For the rest of us, let's take communion and remember that Christ died for us and everything change begins with grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.